big thank you to our praise team, Rick Housen with Austin Sharda on drums, Gail Poor on vocals, and Calvin McNeil on keyboard. I'd also like to thank those behind the scenes we don't usually mention during the week, or those, be, uh, those that are actually doing things that you don't see. Uh, thanks, Jim and Marilyn, for greeting. Uh, Doris Rogers on disinfectant duty, very important these times. Also, our uh, sound booth team today is full of Campbell's. There's a Campbell soup back there between Steve and Briella and Naomi. So thank you for your work you're doing back there. Uh, we're starting a new series today based on the Way of Jesus. If some of you still have those Way of Jesus handbooks that Pastor Phil walked us through some time back there, you may want to dust it off. And uh, today's is based on roughly chapters 4 and 5 in the Way of Jesus handbook. I'm using a lot of the scripture passages that he used as well, but putting kind of probably a little different spin on it. Uh, so appreciation to Pastor Phil Delso for setting that up. So uh, today we're looking at depending on the spirit of Jesus in my journey. Uh, when we better understand the role of God's spirit to guide and empower our life, we'll be less likely to be drawn aside into the pitfalls of counterfeits. Idols that promise to satisfy us but, and appeal to our passions, but really don't deliver. And, uh, oh, I meant to mention, too, uh, we are uh, showing this downstairs in the fellowship hall in the gym. If some of you with children need to go stretch your legs or anything, there's also the baby nursery. It's showing down there as well, so please avail yourself of any of that space as well. So the Holy Spirit can be a mysterious topic, difficult to explain. You can see on the graphic here, you're using kind of companion and compass and controller and carrier as kind of our, our themes to kind of fit it roughly in. At uh, Jesus' baptism, we see God the Son being baptized, God the Father speaking words of affirmation from heaven, and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, the Holy Trinity in action. Yet even that illustration is complex. Dorothy Sayers once told of a Japanese convert struggling to grasp Christian theology. He said to his missionary teacher, Honorable father, very good. Honorable son, very good. But honorable bird, I do not understand at all. The Trinity is not neatly cut and dried. There's a degree of mystery as to how the relationships work. We want to try to identify who the Holy Spirit is, but we run up against the interpenetrability that's going on within the Godhead. There's a big eight-syllable word for you, interpenetrability. It doesn't fit neatly into our logical categories, yet the Bible affirms this sharing between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That little graphic up in the top right, it makes no logical sense at all. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, Father is not the Spirit, uh, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, but they are all God just the same. Go bend your mind around that. For example, Luke, the author of Acts, can at first speak of the Holy Spirit, yet in the next breath he calls it instead the Spirit of Jesus. Acts 6.16.4 Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and 
Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So you can see Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, kind of very related there. This sloshing back and forth in the Godhead seems to splash over and include us when we become followers of Jesus. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus prayed specifically for this oneness, this unity, this binding together for his disciples as characterized the closeness of Jesus and his heavenly Father. John 17, 20, 23, I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. See all the overlap? This interconnectedness is what Jesus is praying for at the pinnacle of his life, his very last evening with his followers before his trial and death. His closing words also point to this keen wish that Christ himself would be in us. John 17, 26, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The Apostle John, in his first letter to the church, also points to this interpenetration. Here the condition to receive this radical change is to acknowledge Jesus is the Son of God. 1 John 4, 13-16 We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. A.W. Tozer wrote, One quality belonging to the Holy Spirit of great interest and importance to every seeking heart is penetrability. He can penetrate matter, such as the human body. He can penetrate mind. He can penetrate another spirit, such as the human spirit. He can achieve complete penetration of an actual intermingling with the human spirit. He can invade the human heart and make room for himself without expelling anything essentially human. The integrity of the human personality remains unimpaired. Only moral evil is forced to withdraw. Tozer adds, the metaphysical problem involved here can no more be avoided than it can be solved. How can one personality enter another? The candid reply would be simply that we do not know, but a near approach to an understanding may be a simple analogy, borrowed from the old devotional writers of several hundred years ago. We place a piece of iron in a fire and blow up the coals. At first we have two distinct substances, iron and fire. When we insert the iron in the fire, we achieve the penetration of the fire by the iron. Soon the fire begins to penetrate the iron and have not only the iron in the fire, but the fire in the iron as well. 
They are two distinct substances, but they have commingled and interpenetrated to a point where the two have become one. End quote. Moving beyond this mystery of interpenetrability, we find scripture points to four main aspects of the Spirit of Jesus in our lives. A companion in our wilderness, a compass in our wanderings, a controller in life's wild games, and a carrier to God's very throne. First, a companion in our wilderness. Perhaps the biblical summary word for this part would be friend. Someone close to you, who's with you. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. He promised a chapter earlier in John 14. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The Holy Spirit is how Jesus comes to us today. He's a presence with us, so we're not left alone as orphans. The Old Testament foreshadowed this new development in salvation history. God promised in Ezekiel 36, 26, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. How does this happen? How do we receive the spirit of Jesus? Through regeneration, being born again, born from above, as John 1.12 put it. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. This isn't some weird fringe doctrine, but central to the good news. Jesus tried to explain it to Nicodemus, who came at night to find out more particulars. John 3, 5 to 8. He said, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now note how Jesus himself points out the mystery of this event, like not being able to tell exactly how or where the wind's going to blow. It's an incredible wonder that by faith in Jesus, we can actually begin to share in God's divine nature. Peter uses the word participate in 2 Peter 1.4. By the Spirit, we can overcome evil desires says, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? Do we have to pray extra hard or go on a retreat or to some especially charismatic church where people fall on the floor? According to the Bible, you have the Spirit if you acknowledge Jesus is who he says he is, your Lord and Savior. All right, so in 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore, I tell you that no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Similarly, in Romans 8, it has to do with belonging to Christ. 
not any charismatic swoon or emotional surge. Does Jesus have you? Is he in control? When the Spirit is in control, Jesus is already in you. Romans 8, 9 to 11. All right. So you, however, are, not, are, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Notice here how interchangeable the terms are. Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, or in verse 14 and 16, simply the Spirit. If you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit of Christ. If Christ is in you, your spirit is alive, and the Christ-resurrecting Almighty One will enliven your mortal body through his living-in-you spirit. Do we love and obey Jesus? Then he will make his presence known to us. John 14, 19-21, Jesus said, Because I live, you also will live. On that day you'll realize that I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Loving and obeying Jesus is key to coming to realize he is in us, having him show or manifest himself to us. One more reference to drive home this unimaginable mystery that the Spirit of Jesus actually indwells us who have given our lives to Christ. 1 John 3.24 Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. In a world where individualism is king and independence is worship where divorce rates are high and families shattered, where it's all too easy to go cocoon in our room and be drawn into the portal or screen of our device, where consequently loneliness is chronic and we feel disconnected despite all our social media, it's a relief to find the Holy Spirit can be our companion. A July 14th news article reported overdose deaths in the U.S. in 2020 jumped from 72,000 the previous year to 93,000, an increase of 29%. That's about 250 overdose deaths each day. A Brown University public health researcher commented, this is a staggering loss of human life. Fentanyl, contamination of other drugs, is a factor. Fentanyl is up to 100 times more potent than morphine and 50 times more potent than heroin. Experts note lockdowns and other pandemic restrictions isolated those with drug addictions and made treatment harder to get. The Spirit of Jesus won't leave us isolated, won't leave us as orphans. With him, we always have a friend nearby. Next. A compass in our wanderings. Recently, Ed Stetzer was interviewed on a podcast by Carrie Newhoff and commented that this next decade will be one of turbulence. 
Conspiracy theories abound. There's increasing distrust of authority and institutions. No one knows who to believe anymore. What's true? What's real? How do you know? In the midst of this confusion, this aimless wandering, God offers us the spirit of truth. Jesus claimed to be the truth. John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, he said. So we can expect Jesus' spirit to be the spirit of truth. And that's what Jesus says, John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. In John 14, 15 to 17, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. I'll ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. He also, John 15, 26. Your compass, if you still have such an old-fashioned thing, points north roughly by aligning its needle with the Earth's magnetic field. Your phone finds north in its maps app by finding three or four GPS satellites. We need badly a point of reference for guidance in our lives. For Christians, our reference is the Bible, a spirit-inspired book interpreted in the light of Jesus' teachings. The Holy Spirit was active in its production and its preservation. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is inspired by is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And Peter writes about the same kind of phenomenon. 2 Peter 1.21 For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the image of a sailboat being blown along in a direction through its sails. By way of example, see how Jesus responds to the tempter in Matthew 4. Three times he doesn't get creative in responding to Satan, but hearkens back to Old Testament scripture. He says, it is written, it is written, it is written. If the Son of God relied on the Bible to counter enemy attacks, how much more we need to keep prepped on our Bible truth arrow arsenal. The Holy Spirit not only inspired scripture, but applies it in our conscience. It's part of the Spirit's job description to get our attention when we miss the mark. John 16, 8. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Heed the Spirit's counsel, that pricking or twinge when your actions don't line up with kingdom values. Think of a flag flying on a flagpole. This is an analogy Pastor Phil used in the Joy of Jesus handbook. A flag without a flagpole would just get blown along aimlessly on the ground, just a piece of cloth getting blown along. A pole stuck in the ground is lifeless. There's no action there. But stick the pole in and tie a flag on and let the wind blow and you have something worth seeing. For Christians, the flagpole is scripture. It's our anchor, our reference point. The Spirit of God is the wind, picking us up, stretching us out, making us alive and active. But we need to stay connected to the flagpole or we get blown along by every wind of doctrine. Be that prosperity gospel or emotionalism or dry dispensationalism. Check it against the standard. Next section, a controller in life's wild games. 
I just got the attention of some of the young people here. <laughs> I'm not into video games myself. I really suck at it, really, but have some family members in the younger set that are. Video game controllers have come a long way from the first simple joystick that I had into an RS-232 port. There was a little box and the stick on top, and there was one button. That was it. That was my joystick. Now, there are a combination of buttons and sticks and bumpers for each hand. That really takes some coordination. My grandsons can run circles around me in car racing games. But you don't need a video game controller in order for someone to push your buttons the wrong way. Why is it those who know us best, most intimately, can also be the ones that get under our skin the most? Sometimes all it takes is a single word or a look to set us off, make us defensive, feel we're being misunderstood or disrespected and treated with contempt. There's no cable from that controller to the box, but our flesh, a.k.a. the old man, reacts with lightning speed. We bristle and go into protective mode, if not attack mode. The passage Mark read earlier details various deeds of the flesh that erupt when our buttons are pushed, or when our baser passions and appetites are appealed to. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Paul goes on to warn that such actions and God's kingdom are mutually exclusive. You can't have it both ways. When it seems like people are playing games with us in a negative way, when we find others are pushing our buttons, God offers us a better controller, the Spirit of Jesus. He is the Holy Spirit, after all. He puts a new spirit in us, removes our stony heart, and gives us a living heart of flesh that can care and forgive. His Spirit supercharges us with his love internally. Romans 5, 5. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. The Spirit does more than supply us with a positive assurance of God's love. The Spirit helps us respond in a controlled manner rather than flying off the handle. Second Timothy 1.7 For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. ESV, RSV, a spirit of self-control. What is the fruit of the Spirit? As you read earlier, can we read uh, Galatians 5, 22, 23 all together? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Spirit fruit folks tend to be fight spoilers. They don't punch back. They don't get sucked into evil for evil dynamics. We will all be controlled by something. What will we be controlled by? Flesh or spirit? Romans 8 says, those controlled... I did it again. Those controlled... 
by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. Self-mortification is hard, dying to yourself. It's difficult to put to death the old, harmful, and destructive patterns. The Spirit of Jesus helps us walk with him, respond as he would, squelch those old automatic knee-jerk reactions, and reach out to God for a more gracious response. Romans 8.13 For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. The Apostle Peter suggests a progression in godly characteristics as we allow the Spirit of Jesus more and more control in our lives. 2 Peter 5, 1-7 For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. That kind of person doesn't sound too hard to live with. Now, do they? Besides such qualities, which are more or less for all believers, there are gifts of the Spirit for particular individuals outlined in several places. 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Romans 12. And through the spiritual gifts, the Lord equips the church to continue Jesus' ministry of healing, saving, teaching, and serving A fourth analogy here, a carrier to God's very throne. And I think that's a carrier for twins. Pray for that, lady. Uh, companion, compass, controller, a con carrier to God's very throne. When Jesus introduces the topic in John fourteen sixteen, he says, And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Greek term is parakletos, one called kletos alongside para to help. It's variously translated counselor, advocate, helper, comforter. A principal way the Spirit helps us is in our praying. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8.26, The same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. You hear that? Even when you can't find the words to pray, the Holy Spirit will fill in the blanks. God knows what you're going through and what you need. He even knows the words before they're on your tongue. So when we're on our knees and just calling, Lord, help! The Spirit can pick us up and bring us before our Heavenly Father. Hebrews 4.16. I'm ahead again. Thank you. There we go. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Is that the connotation we have in our mind with the Father's throne? A throne of grace, mercy, helpfulness. As we pray, the Spirit witnesses to our own spirit that there is a kinship we share with the God of the universe, thanks to the new birth he has given us. You can call this the mystical or ecstatic aspect of the Spirit's ministry, or simply a quiet assurance. Paul teaches the early church about this in a couple of places. Galatians 4, 6. 
Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. In Romans 8, 15, 16, similar terminology. For you did not receive a spirit that made you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. There's a lot of uncertainty in this life, a lot we don't know. Have we overcome the pandemic? Will there be a fourth wave? What will church look like post-pandemic? Will daily life ever get back to the normal we knew before March 2020? If I do catch COVID, vaccinated or not, how serious will it be? There's much that we don't know, don't have control over, much that could cause us worry and stress. But the Spirit of Jesus carries us to the presence of our Heavenly Father who knows all things, cares for us, even knowing how many hairs are on our head, knows the lifespan of each sparrow who has legions of angels at his disposal. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are his, and in that we are safe and saved. In closing, I'd say Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, now Power to Change, summed it up well. Bill Bright said, To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with Christ. The Holy Spirit came to glorify Christ. Therefore, if I am filled with the Spirit, I am abiding in Christ. And if I am controlled and empowered by Christ, he will be walking around in my body, living his resurrection life in and through me. And be glory forever. Let's pray. Precious Father, we're all too aware of the times we fall short of honoring you in our attitudes, behaviors, and character. Cleanse us by the blood of Jesus. Help us repent and receive your filling afresh with all goodness and love and grace that flows from you. Teach us moment by moment to give your spirit control in our lives. May others come to see you in us and be blessed by the fruit and gifts only you can make come alive in us. In Jesus' name, amen.